This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers, show number 15, recorded on December 23rd, 2014. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity, big data, and the technologies that are shaping the future, all from an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here on a off Tuesday night. We, uh, because of Christian's birthday, we moved the podcast from Monday to Tuesday. So uh, for those of you who have joined us live on a Tuesday night, thanks for coming out. And of course, we broadcast live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska. Very warm, although I think we have some snow on the way tonight. Uh, Bellevue, Nebraska, and we post a show with world-class show notes out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can, a couple ways, interact with us. Of course, send us an email. You can just send that to Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Uh, track us down on Twitter. A bunch of different ways to do that. Uh, just Jay Collison for me. I'm not going to give you Christians because I don't want you to follow him. You need to follow me. <laughs> back up. And now you can call on those questions as well. 402-478-8450. And uh, we'll play those questions right here. On the program, and now Cyber Frontiers is a part of the Geeks Network. Find the links to this show and many other great podcasts, including like uh, Home Gadget Geeks is out there now, as part of the Geeks Network, thegeeksnetwork.com. Joining me tonight, not from the security fortification, that is University of Maryland College Park, but from their own respective homes somewhere else in an undisclosed location around the country, Christian and Ashton. Christian, uh, let's start with you. Happy birthday. And, Thank you uh, very much. And uh, thanks for coming in from Buffalo. How are you? Good. It uh, feels not old. I mean, I'm I'm a young, thriving person, but it feels old to no longer be a teenager. Um, I don't really. Not. That, I don't know what that means for me. I guess that means I have more liability and responsibility, and it means nothing. It yeah. just means you're a year older. <laughs> that's that's how I think about it. Until you hit uh, 25, it doesn't. Well, 21 is the next major milestone, and then 25 because insurance goes down. After that, it's just it's just old. And then you can get rental cars. True. Yeah, find that. Rental cars. Yeah. yeah. And then, so Christian's back in Buffalo, and then from somewhere in New Jersey, and I don't know where Ashton. Baskin Ridge. Is that? Yeah. Are you on the shore or are you inland? Uh, like pretty much dead center. Dead center. Yeah. Okay. How far from I? I did my basic training at Fort Dix, New Jersey. Do you know where that's at? Uh, I've heard Dix of it, is. but I do not know where it's it is. It's obviously not close. I'm very. I'm not very knowledgeable about all the places in New Jersey, so. <laughs> Well, there was lots of sand know. there when I was there. If you've done any training at Fort Dix, there's tons of sand. That's all I remember. Mm-hmm. It must be close. I never saw anything. I just did my basic training, and they put us on a bus, and we went to Fort Belvoir, which actually is not very far. Fort Belvoir is not very far from where you guys are at. They're in College Park. I've, if you make the, I think if you head south, Belvoir is a army uh, army base down there. You probably don't are not aware of that either in the D.C. area, are you? No. No. I don't know where that was in there. Yeah, there you go. That was my nine months, I think, I spent not that long in, uh, when I was in that area, northern Virginia. And uh, that would have been in the 80s. You guys weren't even born yet. So let's just keep moving on. Uh, we, we have been working through 15 of these. And uh, today we want to focus a little more. We've been talking big data. I think you guys are coming back to uh, a little bit more of a cybersecurity bend today when we talk about a breach. And that's... A good topic to talk about because there have been just a few breaches uh, of late and some big high-profile breaches, uh, especially when we talk about the Sony breach uh, that happened most recently. Although I'm also interested in talking about the last two days have just been a nightmare for North Korea, whether it was them or not. uh, Of course, their internet has been shut down for various reasons. Not sure if they took it down themselves or if that was the cyber attack uh, coming back at them. But, and then as we get to the end of the show, I want to talk a little bit about uh, IPViking.com uh, and some some ways you can monitor this. So we'll talk about that here at the end of the show. But Christian, let me um, let me throw it over to you. I think uh, to get us started, and when when we think about this idea of breach and what constitutes a breach and how big is a breach and when are big, when are breaches big and when are they small? We just hear that. That doesn't necessarily mean. Just because somebody got my name in a breach doesn't mean it's going to affect me. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I remember back mm, around show four thereabouts when we had Mark Goldstein on talking about you know the breaches and the security had done with AOL and and what was constituted that. That was also kind of around the time where Maryland was getting some bad press over their um, breach, which was three hundred thousand socials and a lot of. Uh, political pain for the university. 
Um, I sit, though, and and am kind of reflecting on <laughs> what the hell's been going on the last two weeks. Um, and the reality is this thing with Sony, I just... I mean, a lot of people are saying this, but let, let me be clear. What's going on with Sony is... I, I definitely definitely will be talked about in you know those those history textbooks that all AP US high school students have to get. This will be in there in 20 years, and why? Um, this has some remarkable characteristics of the breach, the attack that just nothing else we've seen in recent memory or in in distant memory, in my opinion comes close to, to capping what has happened with Sony. So just to give a little backdrop, right? I mean, America is coming out... Uh, the American public is overall in a very heightened awareness of cybersecurity. They may not really know what it means technically, but they know it's important to them for some reason such that it could affect their financials, it could affect their personal information, etc., um, and, you know, with the advent of Edward Snowden um, and with the advent of Chinese um, hacking and activism, you know, the American public has been having a lot of conversations around cybersecurity. Whether they're good or bad or up or down or whatever is, is besides the point because, in my opinion, what we have seen with Sony in the last two weeks is this is the first time that an entity and I'm going to make very clear in this show that I'm somewhat skeptical about who this, who or what the entity actually is. I think there's a, some room to dispute this, and we're going to do so. Um, but some entity has, you know, from the inside out, pretty much chewed out an organization that is worth billions, is a huge bureaucracy, has you know huge names in the in the business of of acting and pop culture and you know it's a huge American icon. Sony has produced tons of movies, you know anything digital, and they just from the inside out ate every single functional piece of this company to the point where they couldn't run the company. Um, and when we think about some of the breaches and attacks that have happened, I mean, you look at things like Lowe's and Home Depot, both of which were big headline breaches in the last six months. But guess what, guys? I had no doubt in my mind, yeah, as bad as those were, as bad as the press was, etc., these companies were going to recover. They were going to get the fraud insurance. They're going to pay back their customers. They're going to bring in people to clean up the mess. And, yeah, they had one one slap on the wrist and now they're back up and running. Sony, this is the f you know fourth time on their record you've had the PlayStation Network go completely out. This is not the first time we've known Sony to do really lousy things with security like encrypt nothing, leave a bunch of passwords in plain text and Excel files. I mean, we know, we know security is not on the up and up at Sony, but for them to be chewed out like dogs in the public from just everything. I mean, this company barely ran for two and a half weeks while they were scrambling to pick up the pieces of what had happened. Um, and so it's the first time you see basically this very interesting nation-state dynamic where, you know, this movie is, in my opinion, kind of ridiculous if you think about it. It wouldn't be getting half the press it's getting now, uh, with you know all the things going on. Oh well, now because you do realize, yeah, Sony's going to have some profit, but there are going to be twice as many people that go to see this movie just because they want. I think Christian's getting hacked. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, bring up the firewall. But you know, I I I can't. I really can't imagine that, um, you know, it's just, a okay, so so number one, it's expensive. Well, let me agree with you, though. I, I don't yeah. think this movie would have even hit the radar of the yeah. American public if if it had, you know, and, and maybe it's suspect that some of this may be, I mean, a little advertising for it as well. I mean, it's a little too big, and there's too much for it to be fake in the sense of advertising for the movie, but but part of the point of the movie was to be controversial. I mean, well, they, they achieved that. <laughs> they wanted it to be like edgy, and I think they got more than they expected in terms of that. 
Yeah, no, and I mean, it's just everything from, you know, their financial systems being down, their computers being vulnerable. I think like six movies were, but, you know, yeah, go ahead. But here's the thing. So the let, let's say what the let's go on the upper end of of cost to Sony is, you know, there's there's 100 million dollars that they lose in, in on the upper bounds of the estimates because of, you know, the the complete loss of this movie that they're they're Showing, I don't know. I guess they're showing it not on Christmas now, or they're doing something different. They're um, doing Christmas, yeah. But all in all, they still have a five hundred million dollar profit margin without that, even without the movie and the hundred million dollar loss. Uh, and they they still have people that are interested in seeing it despite all of this. And I feel like for the most part, the reputation hasn't been completely shattered by the people who are most likely to be paying for this stuff because their information wasn't ever at stake. I mean, obviously, tons and tons of damage was done to the intellectual property and the actors that worked there and the financial data and so on and so forth, but the average American didn't really have anything to worry about except maybe the threat of being the victim of a terrorist plot if they went and saw this when that never even ended up happening. So while, I, I mean, yes, it's a big deal. I'm not sure if we'll see it in 20 years like we will with something like Stuxnet, um, or even, I, I mean, it's it's definitely the largest international breach that I've I've heard of, and it recently. Um, but I'm not sure that it'll have the lasting impact that we think it will. I mean, I think I I agree to some extent, but I think the longer term damage here will be the lawsuits that come from their employees, former employees. Again, those six movie titles, all of which have been planned out. There's you know they're they've lost substantial profit on that just by having it leaked out already. Um, I think the bigger takeaway is not just the financial aspect, but, you know, this was the first time I can ever remember a private company having a symbolic representation in our media about how does someone respond to cyber terrorism and what what really is all of this stuff that's going on, right? I mean, you know, Oh, you you know, Sony shouldn't have caved in the terrorists by pulling the movie. It shows that the United States negotiates with terrorists. Well, you know, Sony's a corporation. They don't represent the government. And people didn't really know how connected or disconnected those ideas should be. Um, and I think it's interesting to see that, you know, this evolution where, you know, our president of the United States comes out and says, I think Sony made a mistake. And Sony's like, well, we're kind of covering ourselves here. Um, they quickly see change, and now all of a sudden we've gone from no movie to guess what? You're going to have a movie anyway. Um, and I just I think the public reaction to this is is historic. I mean, there's no I mean, plenty of times we've had severe um, cyber espionage come from China, where big 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 intellectual property trade secret stuff has been you know completely pushed over to China, sold into their economy, and at a profit lost and damaging to our country. And it, it hardly came on the radar of the average American in comparison to what this thing has turned into. I okay. Mean, I, 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 cut out, I cut out there for like at least half of what you just said. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree and <laughs> give you the benefit of the doubt. But... Um, uh, my, I guess my connection froze, or your connection froze, I'm not well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that the takeaway question I'll, I'll pose to you that I think the public has been posing is Obama took the position that this was considered cyber vandalism. I think some people consider this cyber terrorism. I don't really know what to consider, to be quite honest. I don't have enough of a Gibbs gut, so to speak, as to what is really going on here. Um, you know, yeah, it's really damaging. Yes, we can easily characterize this into people picking sides and, you know, it's a war, yeah, but is it as damaging as, like, a real war? I don't think so. Is it terrorism in the sense that... Can you can one terrorize people by terrorizing computer infrastructure? I don't know. Uh, I think that's a valid question. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Actually, the, the most interesting thing I found is... is how quickly people have been taking allegiances on this thing. I think one of the most humorous things I read throughout the whole evolution of this thing was um, Anonymous has... Okay, so Anonymous, you know, is a very kind of common, um, 
I, I call them cyber vigilantes. They're they're totally reckless, and they pick both. They've picked. I, they're kind of they're pretty unpredictable. They'll they'll pick one side of an argument that you know when something else happens, you think oh that's going to be their position, and then they just completely flip and do the opposite thing. But of course, they allied against um, against Guardians of Peace, and you know we think launched this major attack that uh, cut out internet to North Korea. Of course, what's humorous about cutting out internet to North Korea is that a bunch of two-legged bandits could probably pull it off because <laughs> North Korea has has uh, only four routers that run their entire internet. To give you some perspective, the United States has 100, over 150,000 routers that actually connect different internet points to get to the World Wide Web. North Korea has four. So if you know those four IP addresses, which everyone does, then, I mean, it's really not that hard to say, oh, North Korea, you don't have Internet. But let's be honest, only, what, 5% of their population even has access to the Internet to begin with? So it's just everything about this is fascinating. I think China's response to this has been interesting, too, because we know China has a lot of cyber capability. And, you know, a lot of critics are saying they're not really subscribing to the FBI coming out early and saying this was definitely North Korea, no question about it, so on and so forth, because, you know, the Guardians of Peace, they're posting stuff on their website saying, like, oh, joke's on you because you guys think this is North Korea when it's not. And, I mean, there's there's so many different masks on. There's so many things going on. Um, it is really a fascinating thing to watch. And, um, I I, again, I really think that the way this it has become a cyber circus. I mean, that's the word. If you want to call it something, cyber vandalism, cyber terrorism, it's called a cyber circus, folks. Um, let's let's be clear about that. And um, in the cyber circus, we're seeing a lot of different faces. We're seeing the face of technology. We're seeing the face of the public perception, the face of politics. I mean, this this podcast already sounds more like a political conversation than it does a technology conversation. But um, you know, the facts remain clear that I don't think anyone really has their head wrapped around what's going on. There's too many there's too many cards in the deck, I think, to really say, "Ooh, what is this?" And when you try and characterize that in terms of um, prior breaches and, you know, how do you classify something being, you know, more damaging than another thing, I think this just falls as an outlier. This is not your typical breach by any means. Does it maybe forecast what some of the future activities on the internet look like? Very well could. Um, but this is, this is a first of a kind for sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the, so, but I still, I struggle to understand what exactly, so like it's big. Like I won't deny that this is a a big breach, but what makes it big? So there's there's like different components to it, um, and this is actually a question that we were posed in uh, sort of in a different phrasing for my economics and cybersecurity class, and it was in terms of the obviously the economic aspects of it. Was there what were the costs involved, and I'm not sure that in this case that really does it justice because how much do you care about the costs involved for a company versus the the public at large? In some ways, so our our uh, the research that we did for that class was for Target, and um, the interesting thing there was there there was you know obviously potential for loss to the customer because their their uh, secure information was lost, but here that's not really the case. So I, I can understand the, the fear being a little bit more prevalent there. Um, one of the things that we talked about is the reputation to Sony and whether people are reacting positively or negatively to this or whether this is a, a good publicity thing or a bad publicity thing. And on that front, I actually have some sort of uh, impromptu, informal data on the subject. Uh, I was looking at some of the language processing tools that are available on the Internet, and one of them is called Symantria or Symantria, I'm not entirely sure because I've never heard it spoken out loud. But the the website is going to be in the show, show notes. Um, I can give you a brief explanation of what it does. Is it Essentially, you it's an API, so you send it short phrases, um, Twitter comments, for example, or Twitter posts, rather, tweets. That's the word for it. Um, and it will give you a sentiment score on a scale of negative 10 to 10. So negative 10 being the lowest and 10 being the highest based on the context of the, the words used in it. So what I did is I took 
the and you can see it it's up on Jim's screen right now but I took the uh, the word Sony and the hashtag Sony and hashtag Staples because both of those had had breaches and I wanted to compare the sentiment towards those um, for for those companies and their competitors so if you see on on Jim's graph you have the uh, on the far left, I, I just did a sort of a silly one for, for starters. Christmas, the average sentiment per tweet was 0.2, uh, roughly. And then that next one is Sony, so that's below zero, so that would be a negative score. Uh, Panasonic is just below zero. Samsung is positive. Staples is, is about negative 0.1. And then Office Max and Office Depot are positive. So the, the takeaway here is, with the exception of Panasonic, Sony and Staples are the only two that are negative and have negative sentiment towards them for tweets, and they're the only two that had breaches in the last month or so. So I just found that was kind of interesting. Again, I don't put huge amounts of faith in this. I was just trying to get a, uh, a quick test, a litmus test, if you will, with the using this language processing, which I was interested in. And uh, I think the results are kind of maybe a, a little bit surprising. I didn't necessarily expect that there would be a, a negative reputation if people weren't inherently vested in the company. Um, but that seems to be the case, at least from this data. So uh, Ashton, how, how do you account for Christmas, I mean, how do you account for Office Max being more popular than Christmas? <laughs> well, I was telling, I, I told you, I, Christmas is good, but it doesn't beat Office Max. Um, the Office Max has a lot of great supplies. They have pencils and pens. <laughs> And binders and books. And computers, maybe. And computers. Uh, they probably have computers and desk seats and desks. So. Hey kids, uh, let's let's wake up and go to Office Max this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas. I don't think it's open. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I the only thing I have to note there is, Office Max was the only one that did not have a hashtag in front of it, and I'm not sure whether that affected the results in some way, but uh, it's it, that's the only thing that I can imagine was different. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Twitter, Twitter too, is an interesting place because I feel like uh, the more the more I play around with the, the tweets and the sentiment analysis, the more I feel like sometimes people just say things that are like, Totally anomalous data points in terms of them actually meaning anything. So yeah, it's kind of hard as it's kind of hard to know how much your data is getting skewed one way or another based on some of the garbage that gets tweeted out. Th that's the other problem. Like I didn't search for sentiment on the breach specifically, but if someone goes out and buys a video camera from Sony and they say, "Love this new video camera from Sony," they don't even know the breach happens. Does that deserve to be a positive sentiment? Uh, or if they purchase a camera and they don't like it and they say, this is a crappy camera from Sony, and it says, all right, crappy, that's a negative sentiment score. Uh, it's just, I guess those are inherently built in already to the, the score, and that's kind of what I was trying to get away from by looking at the competitors. But Could you um, break it down? I mean, could you do a, a level down and break it down to try and pull product sentiment and company yeah. sentiment out? If if by, you know, maybe there's a hashtag breach or a, including the word breach or something like that in there? Yeah, I mean, it gets tricky to say what exactly you're looking for and what is being shown by by searching these different things. Interestingly enough, Symantria makes an attempt to guess what uh, the the nouns are in the phrases you give it. So if I give it Sony, sometimes it would think that was a person, sometimes it would think that it was a company, and sometimes it would just think that was a pattern. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. I haven't looked at the, the documentation enough to have a full understanding of exactly how it works. But it is interesting that it's trying to... At first, I was actually filtering just make sure that it's a company. Make sure that it's a company and has Sony in it. But I, I wasn't getting enough uh, data points, and I think it was missing ones that actually were valid. So, yeah, you, I mean, you can try and get more granular. I, I, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know that it's a great, perfect, unbiased estimator of, of actual sentiment just because of the, the nature of Twitter and uh, what you're willing to post. So... I, I take it with a grain of salt, but it was a fun little experiment to, to try. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And it kind of ties into um, what Jim wanted to talk about in a completely different non-sentiment analysis, but just talking about general Internet tools that can give you an idea of what's going on at large. Um, 
Jim, you wanted to bring up IP Viking, which I've I'm I've tried I didn't try hard enough to get the guys from Norse that wrote this tool on the show. Mm. Um, this is a very fascinating tool that lets you basically see. I'm not sure how large their pipe is, but they have some direct taps into ISPs, and they can see where these attacks are originating from. And I'm watching it right now and find it curious that there's no um, North Korea um, activity. But I guess I guess maybe that attack has already ended at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, I've been watching it for the last couple days, knowing we were going to talk about this. And um, I think I saw it. It came up on my, my Google Plus feed. And uh, it's here. Let me let me bring while we're talking about this. Let me let me play it in full screen. There we go. So um, you know, I just brought this up, the, and, and it kind of lives in real time, which is kind of cool. The when you first start it, uh, there's you don't see any of these white circles, and then as the attacks go on, they kind of build up, and you get some history, and you can see there that uh, the United States is the most. It says attack origins. Ooh, actually, at this point, the U.S. is number one. It's been China trending the whole time I've been watching it, but uh, right now the U.S. is trending higher with about 3,500 attacks as opposed to 2,800 for China. And then, of course, the attack targets all the way to the right, um, far and above the United States is the, uh, yeah. on, this, on this map. So, guys, what I, what I wanted you to go through here is, is for the average guy, right, when we look at this map, what are we seeing here, right? What What's in, and because I'm trying to stream it, it's not necessarily showing like you would see it. If you're watching this in real time, you know, those lines are moving. You know, it looks like they're firing missiles and stuff across. But, um, Christian, let me start with you. What, what are we, or Ashton, if you, get, if you have a better idea too, what are we seeing here? What are these things that are happening? Sure. So these are basically you, what you're seeing is internet traffic going back and forth between different um, host IP addresses for common services. So like SQL Server, maybe it's a web server, maybe it's an SSH account. And so they're watching all these services and really they're looking for basically um, like the easiest one to track is the repeated brute force denial of service or you know buffer overflow type thing where you know a particular port is just getting hammered by a particular IP address and so it's watching the number of flow of packets in and it's saying okay this is a you know this this is a target that's being attacked and so basically the map in real time is showing you all those attacks happening across all these different common servers because they have these data taps from different ISPs so it very quickly paints a very interesting picture. Um, in terms of what the actual damage is, it's kind of very superficial in my opinion, right? I mean, you're seeing where the general kind of cyber hacktivism is going on, but you don't know whether or not any of the little colors showing up on the map are, they're not, it's not like the color is, is represents anything in terms of a successful breach. It just means at most that there's a lot of people trying, right? So when you see those big orbs in a particular region, that means that particular region and IP address and service is getting hit by a lot of people from the outside. So a lot of this, this is uh, painted as like kind of threat intelligence um, type type stuff where if you have an idea what's going on around the world and what types of cyber attacks are going on with other people you can be better prepared and you know threat intelligence is really not a new thing it's just a word we've coined but um, the IP Viking has quickly become kind of the poster child for what threat intelligence looks like when you have an awesome graphical user interface well, I, have a, I have a question about this too is it just like I'm trying to think about how I would implement this, and I don't have a good way of determining what an attack is just based on a tap to the network traffic um, unless I have someone tell me where, where the attack site is. But, I mean, I, my first naive guess would be something just like, all right, let's just look for DDoS attacks. I'll just look for a huge volume coming from one location. Um, but is that different than, say... Uh, a large file download, or maybe I just don't have a good understanding of what this. Yeah, is. I mean, I think this probably looks. You know, it's it's a direct ISP tap, so they're probably looking at things like flows per second, right? So how many packets per second is showing up at this service from the IP? Is this an unusual level of flows per packet? Um, what types of request? You know, is the packet always sending a password authentication prompt back, which would 
indicate that it's a bot trying to you know guess different passwords. So there's definitely packet capture and level analysis being done. Hard to say how it, you know is it a full packet inspection? Is it just looking for kind of trending statistics? Um, again, these are questions that we would want Norse to answer, but that's kind of the general idea, I would imagine. Yeah, I just can't imagine that all being done live for you know what is essentially all the traffic on the internet. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean it's a it's a it's a great demonstration of what yeah. you can do with pretty JavaScript. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty like if I had to pick a desktop background, this would be a pretty great choice. But <laughs> um, you know, other than that, in terms of like the value of threat intelligence, I mean, this is just pretty, I guess, in my opinion. Um, what might be interesting is to take all these IP addresses that this tool spits out and then see, well, what what are the services that are sitting on these IP addresses? Why are they valuable targets? I think they, that's... They have those in the lower right-hand corner. Well, yeah, right, but so, you know, who, you know, it shows the organization, but you don't really know, like, okay, what what what's on that server, right? What's, what's going on here? Um, why are they being hit? Um, sometimes you can make some inferences based on the location of what's going on in the country, what might be, why that might be a valuable target. For example, why might St. Louis be a more valuable target than Florida, Miami, Florida, right? So um, there's some of that going on, but I, I would be just curious to see, well, all right, let me just pick a random IP address that keeps showing up on the map and see what are they really, what is it that they want to get into? Is there some value here that is obvious to the average guy, or is there something going on more behind the scenes? I wonder if the North Korea attack would have shown up on this, because I don't think it was like a DDoS attack. It seems more like a phishing scam, where they probably you know, sent um, an e email trying to get personal information from an employee that worked there, and or installed some sort of malware on their computer. And not the type of thing that would appear on this sort of broad-scale map. Yeah, and um, interestingly enough, even in terms of the timeline of who did what, um, a lot of people are saying, some interesting people are saying, there's no way this happened without an inside knowledge of Sony's network, which is an interesting proposition that there was an insider involved in this. Because i got to be honest, you know, as much as Sony's security sucks, and we, I don't think anyone disputes that, the level that they got chewed at is pretty amazing to consider they got through the whole network without any help. Uh, yeah, the, one of the interesting things I was reading um, was that the they they one of the things they disclosed was the location of all of the servers that were being used, all the database locations, a value of the assets on those, uh, just lists and lists of passwords for the employees, and the, part of that was part of the reason why Sony had to just completely shut down, um, no joke, shut down their email and, and phone services and everything for a good period of time while they were sorting all of this out. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty bizarre, and I mean, this is not a problem that has just been with Sony. I mean, I, th I feel like a large part of it has to be basics, right, like network isolation. So why are there core systems that run Sony's infrastructure that are even accessible or routable from the Internet? Like, I can understand if, you know, malware got onto a computer that's sitting in a local LAN, but I feel like a lot of these systems are just flapping in the breeze in the public Internet space. And, you know, we may be cautious in saying these things, but um, the state legislature report for University of Maryland came out where the legislature legislature's uh, independent auditor uh, slash inspector general looked at and reviewed the campus security of Maryland after, you know, all the stuff that happened. And one of the gaping things that was made evident in the report was that, you know, the president's office, the bursar's office, the office of uh, student finances, all of these desktop computers were just sitting on the internet, had public IPs routed directly to their interface. There was no firewall or flow management. None of these were in private networks. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of inviting for someone to just keep hitting until something falls over. And I kind of wonder if that was the case with some of the stuff in Sony because I just, how you eat through an organization that quickly with all those level of details is pretty impressive unless you're either able to do some pretty cool scanning um, more on public interfaces, but I just, there's no, 
no th no reasonable comparison I can make in terms of like, well, oh, you know, if a, if a secretary clicked a link that started a phishing scam and some malware got in, I mean, even I've, I have rarely seen the case where, you know, malware getting in in that internal network space is a, you know, a guaranteed golden ticket to chewing the rest of the network out. I mean, it just, it really doesn't add up in that regard. Isn't that why, I mean, a lot of guys recommend zero trust where nobody trusts anybody in the organization as far as access to and from just for that purpose if somebody gets in they just don't have access to everything carte blanche yeah I mean I think it's that's like a big concern right I mean you walk in insider threat has I've talked about this on the show you know how do you protect from insider threat where someone's new employee they get in, or an old employee for that matter disgruntled whatever start sniffing network packets. I mean, uh, we we have a phrase in ACES amongst my suite mates that physical access is the, is the worst kind. And what that expression means is that there's nothing that trumps the cybersecurity card in terms of getting owned than having physical access. If you have physical access to any cyber system, game over, right? So I think I think part of the reason why that's common for your suite mates is they do have physical access. Well, right, it leads to some pretty awful pranks for you guys. Yeah, that was those those are some post show outtakes. But um, <laughs> in any case, uh, the regardless, it's kind of the same notion, right? You have a level of kind of physical access when you're inside, when you're sitting inside the company where, yeah, maybe I'll just unplug my Ethernet cable and try this port and see if that port's lit up and, you know, maybe leave that TCP packet capture running for a bit and see what I can find. I mean, that's a level of access that you don't get when you're just interacting with a company as, like, a customer or as a client. So... Um, again, the closer you are to having trust in the organization, obviously the ability for it to be abused makes sense. Um, but how how this factors into what happened at Sony, I think. Yeah. One of the other interesting things I was looking at was their, um, just to see what the impact was on their stock, stock prices, which yeah. I felt was kind of more of a... Uh, kind of more of a sentiment analysis than financial, but nonetheless, it was interesting. I have it up on one of my other screens. Let me try and screen share that. But the, I, I personally, based on this, if you just shown me, you know, the month of December and said, guess which, or the last two months, let's say, and said, guess where the breach is, it's pretty hard to say. There's not like a definite point. Um, but let's bring it up here. So here, here's the, this is from November 26th to December 18th, and I believe the breach was almost exactly a month ago, so uh, it wasn't clear then whether it was North Korea, and it may still not be, but there's not really a definite drop at any point until you get to about December 5th, which is when it does become more clear, and there's, uh, there's you know, d public disclosure and things like that. But even in looking at this, so at this scale, maybe it's obvious that there was some sort of drop due to the breach. But if you look at it in a at a one-year scale, so that, that was a month. If you look at it at a one-year scale, it's not really as clear. I mean, where where is the breach looking at this? Uh, is it here? Is it here? I mean, if you know the actual date, you might be able to say it's there. But I wouldn't say that's an insurmountable loss just looking at the general variation prior to that. Man. So it's important to, to realize that these are things that companies rebound pretty pretty comfortably from. And I think even just announcing that they're going to do a limited screening of the interview helped to let them bounce back fairly quickly on this. And uh, I, I can't imagine that as far as stock prices go or, or really people's opinions, this is going to persist in the memory forever or uh, in a very important way. Yeah, I mean, the one smart thing they bothered to do was um, they got, after the PlayStation Network hack happened, Sony bought, like, I think it was like 60, a $60 million insurance package for cyber um, damages, anything related to cyber um, vandalism or damages. So they will probably recoup a good bit of that money just from having that insurance. But um, in terms of kind of the the public perception damage, I, I'll be honest, I'm surprised that as many people still trust their information with Sony as they did, you know, after the PlayStation attack. I mean, things kind of pretty much went back to status quo. So, 
Um, I'm a bit surprised about that, but I think I think we still are. I don't think Sony's in the clear. I think they're going to need. You won't really know whether how stable the stock's going to be for another two months at least yet. I would say if we yeah. get out if we get out quarter one of 2015 and things are still looking pretty normal, they're probably going to be okay. Well, that, that's one thing. The, the stocks are not necessarily a reflection of the company's success or failure financially. Um, they're more right. just the the people's outlook on how the company's going to do. Future if, value, right? So it's, it's yeah, always stock is always forward yeah. future value. But, but it, it, what, uh, what I was able to do with Target, we can't do with Sony yet, but you want to look at the revenues and the, the the income and the total costs and see what the impact is there. Um, and maybe, you know, in that case, really you might not see the losses for another year or two. Uh, these are, you know, maybe movies that they're going to cut because the, the scripts were released prematurely or intellectual property that there's going to be, you know, lawsuits and, and problems there. So I don't know. Uh, what what the impacts are going to be in the the more important terms of the you know the hard numbers on on net revenues and net costs and incomes and I I would be more interested to see that from a financial standpoint than just the stock. Sure. Yeah, and I think you know again the 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 stock is one measure, but I think did, didn't Target have a pretty how bad was Target's... I think Target's stock did pretty terrible in comparison to Sony. I mean, they just... Their their stock nosedived a lot faster than what Sony did, and I kind of yeah, feel I like... Mean, we, we, I, I did the, the research that we did. It, it dove when they announced it, and then it yeah, bounced they, back. They I mean, it depends back. at what scale you look at it. It wasn't like... Yeah, they're, no, they're back up to 74. I remember in 8th grade, we used to trade Target stocks in algebra class for, for fun. Um... <laughs> And of course, just for fun, why? Because you do. Well, and it's higher than what it was when I was in yeah. eighth grade, so yeah. that's great. Well, okay, so but you you look at a target, right? This is this is the difference I think between attacking the general population and attacking a company, right? It's fairly while while it's a lot of information. I mean, hundreds of terabytes of data was was seized, which is crazy to think. A movie company, I shouldn't say crazy to think. I mean, wow, they've got a lot of data, right? From from what they're doing, but. Um, or maybe that's not enough, but fairly contained, right? It's a it's a fairly contained subset of information. When you when Target lists a breach and says, you know, we've had two hundred thousand or whatever that breach was, uh, credit card numbers go out. Then you've got a huge problem because you've got a ton of moving parts, right? You got people that you got to track down. You got to send letters out. You're hoping people will take advantage of the. LifeLock offer that they send everybody for a year, you know, sign up for LifeLock. That's becoming really common. In fact, I've gotten two of those offers in the last from, you know, companies that I, I wasn't even affected by. It. They just sent me free, you know, hey, sign up for Life, we'll pay for it type deal to uh, to protect your data. So, I, you know, I wonder if it's a difference because this is a fairly contained, and the damage control is all within Sony, right? They're going to yeah. sue. Their problem is they're going to get sued by their employees, not... Not the public in in general, yeah. And I just wonder if that has a different perception, so to speak. Than and I, I was talking to Ashton before the show. I wonder if there's actually even a little bit of sympathy, especially if it was North Korea. You know, oh, you got attacked by the evil empire, so <laughs> we're gonna cut you a little slack, you know, because hey, you had the they had the entire resources of a country, which honestly isn't very much, but. You had the entire resources of a yeah. country hacking you. We're gonna cut you a little slack. I I don't know, right? I don't. I I'm I'm just, from I the outside. I'm looking in. From just the the whole basis of the movie is that people kind of think that, and I I don't know if this is founded, but that that North Korea is almost like a joke in terms of world power. Um, and I I don't think that's true. But the the, the, the they have the ability to do things that are very harmful as we've seen here. I mean, again, if it is in fact them. Where and then in addition to that, it sounds like there's been a a standard set by Stony that's just so low um, with the the previous breaches that have happened in addition to the PlayStation breach. And those things combined, I, I don't feel that a ton of people are gonna get up and, and vouch for Sony. Um, I don't know, maybe I haven't been looking the right places, but I haven't seen an outpouring of 
sympathy or pity for for Sony thus far. Yeah, well, I, let me just say I think it's I have a hard time believing that North Korea um, has the cyber capabilities to pull this off, um, which is part of why I'm skeptic. I th- I would think if anything, I mean, yeah, China has the ability to do this. So if North Korea were to come out and take credit for it, I would say, yeah, yeah, that's great, but someone from China helped you do it because, I don't know, they, you know, yeah, they do have a good, I guess they have a, a you know, dedicated cyber group in their government, but um, in, in terms of state-sponsored cyber hacking, chi- this this smelled a lot more like a thing China would do than than a thing North Korea would do in terms of both, you know, interest and resources, right? Um, the only other thing I can think of that was like mildly successful with North Korea's hacking adventures was the um, major disruption to um, South Korea's banks and, and ATMs, and they they had some glitches for a couple days where they were getting nailed by North Korea. But you know, I it's it doesn't seem like North Korea really is large enough of a... I mean, yeah, it's a it's a country, great, but when you realize just how little of the country is on the internet in North Korea and, you know, how many people probably even have access to the internet in North Korea, it's probably, like, the population size of, like, the University of Maryland students all being connected to the internet. Like, it can't be a lot. It can't be a lot, right? Here's, here's the other weird thing. Why Sony? Like, it, let's say this... Let's Let's... Construe this as a terrorist attack, um, and just for the sake of the army, the argument assume that it is North Korea. Why attack Sony if you can attack something like critical infrastructure? I, I just feel like there might be better ways to well, bring and that's populace to its knees than even stealing credit cards would probably be more harmful than scaring the you know scaring and showing the security flaws in a large multinational corporation. I mean, on the surface, you could say it's damaging an American company, therefore it's meeting our objectives. But it, it, I agree with you. It does it does seem like a strange target. Um, which I mean, is, does it strike fear into your heart to know that Sony No, it makes, me, it makes me laugh. I mean, this is... This I find might, it funny. Maybe this is wrong, but in some ways, <laughs> I find the breaches that are so consistently happening at Staples, at uh, Target, at you know, name any other place that's been hacked in the last year. Um, because, I mean, maybe this is selfish, but those are places that I'm a lot more likely to shop. Those are places that my credit card information is going to be at. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily have any vested interest in the success or failure of the interview as a movie. Right. Uh, I mean, I think, for, for me, I've become so unfazed by it because I just feel like it's inevitable your credit card's going to get stolen. It's inevitable your social security number is going to get stolen because, in reality, these are seriously antiquated ways to do business electronically. I mean, I've, I've talked about this on the show before. The notion of social security numbers being anything that should be like, don't share your social security. Go share it. Share it with everyone in the world because maybe eventually if we make it so that everyone knows everyone's social security numbers, people will wake up and stop using it as this top secret access code to validating your entire life because it's stupid. The first three characters are your country area. The second three are your town. And, you know, you got to guess four digits on a loop. And it's like... Yeah, if some if a guy drops his wallet, guess what? You just you've just impersonated the guy. And I mean, you see everything from credit cards getting drained to people taking out college loans in in the name of dead people who have social security numbers still active where they're still collecting their the pension checks are still getting mailed to addresses of dead people and it's like you know, talk about a dysfunctional system. Yeah, it's like good for you. You're your your cyber activism has allowed you to break into a system that's inherently flawed to begin with, in my opinion. I mean, I just, at, at this point, everyone's like, ooh, credit card, or ooh, this or that, and I'm like, this is this is boring. I mean, we should for, talk, about, talk about a country that's supposed to be leading in technology and capabilities. It's like, why is India five years ahead of us with the, you know, government identification system, with the encryption, and it's just, you know, 
yeah, it's a it's an upstart cost to us to invest in these technologies, but it's going to definitely have a major impact on the level of things people can get away with, which ultimately makes it a worthy investment financially. So yeah. I just, yeah, the whole I mean, thing. I'm not, I, I uh, understand that there, it's not like, oh, there's some amazing security in place with the, the system that we have, and there's some crazy hackers out there that are able to get away with stealing it. I agree that there's a serious problem with the whole concept. Honestly, the whole concept of passwords, of having digits to identify things, and that's it. And that's all you need to identify it. Is kind of um, is is flawed inherently. I mean, I, I like the idea of two-factor authentication. I like the idea of bio uh, bio biological passwords or or whatever they they may have there. Um, but I, I it still scares me to think that it's just so easy. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like. One of my famous expressions is it's like stealing candy from a baby, right? I mean, that's what this is. It's literally like, ha-ha, got you. There's nothing... There's really... I don't know, in my opinion... But it's not, still, it still hurts. It's not like because oh, it does. Easy, it's not... Yeah. yeah, I mean, the outcome is the painful. same. The outcome is definitely the same in terms of like the cyber cred of what level of technical ability you needed to pull it off, though. And that's the thing. That's the I'm thing not impressed. I, I, I don't know that this was any more challenging than that. Uh, right. I have suspicions that it was just a, a phishing scam that allowed them to get malware. And I, I mean, maybe the challenge was the, to the extent that they were able to eat them out from the inside, it was impressive. Um, but Yeah, I mean, that to me was what... It just seems like an interesting target to invest all of that time in, if that's the case. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think though, that that takeaway for me about getting chewed out from the inside so quickly to me says they really didn't do due diligence in architecting an internal network for this company. I mean, it's clear that if you get if you get chewed up that bad, you're just not doing something right with the way you're running your company, right? Because um, it seems like everything was open. Right. I mean, it's like they cleaned house. They got into... The, you know, they got into secure, e well, what it should have been, secure emails, right? I mean, huge blocks of emails, uh, spreadsheets, data out of the servers. I mean, like, they got everything. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, copy, C, colon, right? <laughs> Send the whole thing over. Uh, I can't imagine how long it took to download that. I mean, imagine, you know how long it takes to upload your, your backup to CrashPlan? Mm-hmm. They would have to pull. Remember, they would have to copy all those hundreds of terabytes of information down to be able to get it. I wonder how long yeah. it took to start moving all that off their servers and copying. And and who would have the resources? I guess I don't know. A hundred terabytes is probably not that difficult to build, but it's got to have somebody with some resources. That's just not laying around. You know, you're not just going to put that on a PC. That's the weird thing. This this seems to jump around a lot of. Like skill levels. So, like, you have on the one hand, I don't know if you've seen the images that they put on the computers, but they kind of have these like corny um, messages that are in like broken English. It's, it's literally a, a skull that like looks like it's in hell, and there's the some some weird vague threats, and the whole thing just seems kind of you know just like informal and not very well th thought out. And then on the other hand, the skills necessary to pull this off aren't necessarily trivial. I mean, in terms of the the space, they had to be there for a good period of time to accomplish it. Um, they're still not sure exactly how this happened. They didn't leave a, a great trail of evidence, which is impressive. So, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like there's inconsistencies in terms of the skills there. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, again, there's a lot of overlap in terms of methodology, and I think... I think that one of the takeaways for me has been for the past decade, most boardrooms laughed at the idea that they needed to pay attention or, or their infrastructure, right? It's like trying to explain to a CEO who's never had to worry about using a computer beyond a user email why he should be putting millions of dollars into something that may happen, may not happen. Um, right, and so I think that struggle has been, you know, a recurring theme, and boardrooms are now seeing things like Sony happen, seeing things like Home Depot happen, seeing things like Target happen, and saying, 
oh, wait a second, this really could be us, and the frequency is going up to the point where now we need to be making investments, and we really do need to be kind of consciously looking at what investments we're making into keeping our infrastructure secure. And um, I think that's... I think Sony is a good example of someone who didn't heed the message and is now paying the price. And I think less people will continue to do that now that something like that has happened. I agree. But right, that's, well, that's pretty much all uh, All the things I wanted to talk about. Are you... To to my comment, uh, you know, 100 terabytes, um, you know, Drashness says, uh, you know, they uploaded to Amazon S3. Well, it's true, yeah. still got a space. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 that's not insignificant in both cost and in time when you think just about how long it takes to move some of that data across the line. And so you've got some physical... Um, you know, you've got some physical limitations. You can't think with a company like Sony that has not made a significant investment in infrastructure, at least security of the infrastructure. They probably don't have the greatest infrastructure either. So it's not like they probably have the fastest mail servers. The, you know, they're worried about making hit movies, not having super secure, you know, obviously a super secure data center. And so you, you know, you just kind of think, hmm. I wonder as they were moving this stuff off, and it, you know, it looks like is it the the link we'll provide this in the show notes too as a great chronology of how this all took place, starting, you know, a couple of days before Thanksgiving, and then working its way. Is that the uh, the deadline article? That's the deadline article. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a really about. good. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. If you want kind of a chronology of how this all came together, and, it's up and to the um, day. yeah, it's right up to date. Right, they just keep adding. Yeah. It's kind of live. They're kind of live blogging to it, mm-hmm. and so. Um, you know, I just, I, I guess they had days to move that stuff off. And, uh, you know, I just think about moving my, I have a pretty good internet connection, and I move my 500 gig up to Crash Planet. It takes 32 days to, you know, to <laughs> upload up there. And you think, well, okay, they probably have a bigger pipe. and But still, physically, this was a, a little bit of a challenge to get that data off. Um, I, I kind of side with you guys. I, I think there's an insider on this one who gave some access, and then once it was in, you know, boom. Yeah, that, just, that would make sense in terms yeah. of the... What, what kind uh, 40, 47,000 employees at Sony, and you can't tell me they haven't pissed somebody off in the, in the you know, and you, you think about the movie industry. I mean, it's just interesting. Some of those notes uh, in the emails that were, were, were published, they, you know, they're mad at each other, calling <laughs> each other names back and forth or talking about one another. There's... I can't imagine you couldn't have, and Christian, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, some kind of, you know, some somebody disgruntled who's like, hey, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow an open door, and boom, once they were in, it does speak of, and I think the importance of having, um, of having internal security that is not, you just can't, you know, once you get on the inside, you just can't hack <laughs> through everything. And uh, it had to be some probably some, you know, social engineering as well to get people's passwords and get access yeah. to stuff. Because getting access, I'm assuming they're using Exchange. I mean, getting access to all the emails in Exchange, it's not necessarily, it's not, that's not an easy system to administrate, much less get data, like that kind of data out of it. I mean, you got to kind of know, to your point, Ashton, you got to, there's some multiple skill sets in this. Yeah. All right. You know? So, interesting. Christian, anything uh, anything else as we wrap it? No, I mean, I I just, I think in terms of when we talk about kind of footnotes in cybersecurity history, this, this goes in my book as being a footnote because I think what we're going to watch unfold in the next couple of weeks will be very interesting in terms of where this thing is going. Um, and I think we'll help paint a better picture of who really knew what happened and who didn't, right? I mean, I think... I think I have yet to be convinced of who did this, and I'm very interested to see who did because that is an interesting measurement for how well we do in guessing how these types of scenarios are, what the end game is, right? It'll be interesting to see what type of backlash happens now that the 25th is going to run this movie, whether or not this is going to evolve somehow on the Internet. So I am anticipating uh, an interesting thing to follow for the next couple weeks and I'm sure many people will be watching this um, so um, let's keep the conversation going yeah, yeah. very good personally I would put this after Stuxnet 
maybe above Target or the other company yep. breaches that we've had nationally, but still Definitely. a big deal. Yeah. How about adding in the University of Maryland? Yeah. I think it's a little bit above that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. That and just give it some context because yeah. that's that's kind of the world we live in. So stacks and that. Well, Sony. but to be, but, but to, to be biased, the Maryland one affects me more than uh, than the Sony okay. one. Well, I mean, the Maryland one is kind of humorous for me because um, Maryland had two breaches in like a one month period, right? They had the initial breach of some three hundred thousand socials where um, they still they they never found who did it, right? And then. The second breach was done by a web contractor, a contractor who is uh, supposed to be writing a, a website. He was contracted to do this, and you know, and and they found this guy really fast. Why? Because he was bragging on it about Reddit and on a game server, and um, he he blackmailed our task force. And um, you can go on the internet and find the FBI affidavit with my name in it and every name of the task member where he basically re-released and held our social security numbers over our heads and kind of busted our chops. So I just kind of laugh at the whole thing. It's like at this point, if you want to find my number, go for it. Um, I, I have to rely on credit protection at this point, uh, which I do. So um, I kind of find... Who, who are you using? Um, I'm using Experian, which was offered through the university. Cool. There's really three major ones, Experian, LifeLock, and um, oh, what's the other one? Oh, yeah, I, I got an offer for the other one from the bank. Yeah, I don't remember the third one, but they're pretty big. Um, but, I mean, and those, let's let's be honest, those services are a little bit, I don't know how I feel about those services, to be honest. Like, for example, it did pick up that, it did ask, like, hey, was this you that, you know, verify that you took out, like, a subsidized loan for college? And, like, okay, great, you picked that up. But, like, I, I don't know. I have a little bit of a weird sensation about am I getting my money's worth out of those it's things. Insurance. I think well, it, you probably got this for free, right, from the University of Maryland? Oh, I mean, I got it for free. I'm just not sure if I, how good I feel about it actually catching something. Yeah. I couldn't get them at all because technically I don't have a credit yet. <laughs> Yeah, see, and I find that interesting because I really don't either, but I didn't have a problem, so. Huh. I don't know how you did it because I, I couldn't get the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we need to, Ashton, I guess uh, now that we've got you a mic and some uh, sweet earbuds, <laughs> we need to work on your credit next. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> the next thing for the podcast. Well, very good. Well, guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging through Christmas here or up to Christmas. It was good to get you through finals. I, I spent a little bit of time talking with both of you uh, as we got through more Christian than you, Ashton, but uh, getting you through the finals process. Kind of, I bet it's nice to have that all done, at least for the... That's the nice thing about school. That's a little different than work, right? Is you have big projects at work and you finish them, you go home for the weekend or whatever. On Monday, you come back and the problems are still there. Right? You know, you're like, oh, dang it. With work, pretty much when you're final... Or I mean with school, when the final's over. It's done. It's kind of nice, right? You just like, yeah. Whew, don't have to think about that for a while. The the playing field is set level again, and all is good. So, so at least you're done. Well, we won't uh, we won't hassle you anymore uh, for Cyber Frontiers for another two weeks as well. We are looking at a January fifth uh, a date. So, guys, take a peek at that, and we'll uh, after we're done here, we'll confirm, see if we can uh, do it again on January fifth. Uh, but I'll remind folks who are listening, if you want to, uh, if you haven't signed up for a cool newsletter, actually got to write one of those here coming up because it's almost the end of the month. You get a nice uh, nice little note from me just once a month at the end of the month about what's going on here on the network, a good way to keep up, especially if you don't follow social media. So head out to theaverageguy.tv and look for the cool newsletter stuff. It's over in the right-hand column. And just put your email address in there. Give me a spammy one if you want. I'm not going to spam you, but if you've got a spam one that you... I know, like, we all have addresses that we use for spams. Right, right. Yep. Spammer. Have, yeah. So, give me that one if you, you want. want that. Spammer. But I'm not going to spam you. I think mine's like my dirty spam at outlook.com <laughs> or something like that. If you uh, if you want to give me that one, that's fine. And uh, but uh, that will get a newsletter to you each and every month. And then if you haven't made uh, if you haven't subscribed to Cyber Frontiers uh, this part of December, when you got some time, might be a good time to do that. Maybe you get a new uh, you get some new gadgets to start. Uh, Working with. By the way, if you listen to Cyber Frontiers and you're not listening to Home Gadget Geeks, 
uh, we will have you. We should have you come over. We got some good shows coming up, and uh, in the month of January, you should get subscribed to both of them and listen to my, listen to them however you want. We are live every other Monday, or we kind of change it. You want to follow the schedule? I try to keep that up to date at the Average Guy. TV of all the things that are going on every other Monday with these guys, and appreciate. We ended a year, guys. 2014, we we made it. We're done, and uh, 2015 is around the corner. School start before you know it. Uh, Ashton, start working uh, at Gallup uh, in yep. the new year. That'll be awesome to have you on the team. Excited about that. And uh, and hopefully we will get you to Omaha for the summer as well. And uh, it'll be yep. fun to kind of hang out with you every day. So it's, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. So yeah, not a fun. bad not a bad gig. I'm pretty excited about it coming up. But uh, we want to say thanks for listening tonight. For those of you who made it over here on a Tuesday night, thanks for joining us. Some great conversation and chat. And uh, if you haven't uh, come out and watched us live before, we'd love to have you come out and join us live when we do that again every other Monday night. So not a huge commitment. 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. Now, if you have a TV slash live. Christian, Ashton, thanks a bunch. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone.